Hello and welcome to Eyes on Research, the podcast that digests the latest scientific innovations in eye research using simple and understandable terms. I am your host, Thales Guimarães, medical doctor and clinician scientist at Northfield's Eye Hospital. On today's episode, we'll be talking about Usher syndrome, from what this is exactly all the way to where we currently are in the search for new treatments. This is essentially a genetic form of multisystemic disease, meaning that more than one system in the body is affected. And in the case of this condition, we're talking basically about the eyes and the ears. To talk about Usher syndrome, we first need to address a few things. So, combined hearing and vision loss, which is also known as dual sensory impairment, can be caused by a highly heterogeneous spectrum of conditions uh, and is characterized by varying degrees of hearing and vision loss. Dual sensory impairment is common in older adults uh, as an age-related kind of thing, with a prevalence as high as 11% in adults over 80 years of age in a big study conducted in the United States a few years ago. Regardless of the cause, though, affected individuals experience difficulty in communication, mobility, and daily functioning. Also, perceived discrimination, right? This really affects their quality of life. There are many causes of these dual sensory impairments, so hearing and vision loss combined, including genetic causes, infectious causes, and autoimmune causes. Genetic causes of dual sensory impairment usually present as early as birth to early adulthood, associated with a greater disease burden and a lifelong disability. Amongst the most common forms of inherited and genetic dual sensory impairment are the ciliopathies, to which Usher syndrome belongs. So Remember that we're talking about a multi-system disease, so other systems of the body are affected. And as the name suggests, you know, ciliopathies are diseases of a specific structure named cilia, right? Ciliopathy. These are rod-like, slender, extremely ancient organelles that are bound to membranes. So they, they protrude from the surface of the cells, right? This is essentially what that means. And these cells, they have a very crucial role in vertebrate development, the regulation of several uh, signaling pathways, and genetic disorders that, that cause disruption in this cilium, which is what we call the ciliopathy, they display a constellation of phenotypic features, meaning that the clinical findings vary. And commonly, they involve sensory deficits and is the leading cause of visual disability in children. Now, the most common form of ciliopathy, right? We're talking about a big group of conditions. Now, by far, the most common form of ciliopathy is Usher syndrome. So this is where this disease fits, right? And by the way, we call this a syndrome uh, because, you know, as I said before, it involves multiple organs. Usher syndrome then is a group of disorders that's characterized by hearing loss, vestibular dysfunction, and the form of rod cone dystrophy, or if you like to be more precise, retinitis pigmentosa. And you know, last week we just did an episode uh, on cone rod dystrophies. I highly recommend checking that out, as this will make much more sense to you after you understand how we classify these diseases. So essentially, retinitis pigmentosa is a type of rod cone dystrophy, right? So both are 
um, correct ways to say what it is. And vestibular dysfunction, what that means, right? That's a disturbance in the body's balance system, right? Due to an insult, let's say, to the vestibular system, which is located in the inner section of the ear. So essentially what patients have is like a feeling of unsteadiness, imbalance or loss of equilibrium, which can or not be associated with spatial disorientation as well. And the type of retinal dystrophy that patient gets, uh, as I said, is night pigmentosa, cause a loss of night vision, what many people have referred to as night blindness, and a constriction of visual field. So loss of your side vision, your peripheral vision. Now, there are multiple genes involved in ushers, and that's why we call it a genetically heterogeneous disease. Depending on the gene that you have a mutation on, you can have an entire different clinical picture, right? The findings vary. What also varies is the prognosis, right? So does the extent of hearing loss and the vestibular dysfunction. Hence, for this specific reason, Usher syndrome has been subdivided into four types according to the onset of these symptoms, right? So Usher type 1 is the most severe form of Usher syndrome and accounts for approximately 30 to 40% of all cases of Usher. Patients, they typically have a profound sensory neurohearing loss, vestibular dysfunction, and, you know, the start of retinitis pigmentosa or the onset within the first decade of life. Now, unless these patients are fitted with a cochlear implant, they don't typically develop speech. Hence, you know, uh, I can't stress this enough, early recognition and, you know, early fitting of cochlear implants is life-changing to patients, right? Because you're essentially giving them hearing. And trust me, the results of cochlear implants these days is absolutely amazing. We have many patients with Usher syndrome type 1 who have a, a speech that's better than mine. <laughs> uh, not that this is a hard thing to have, but... Uh, jokes aside, it's indeed, it's, it's life-changing. They develop speech and they can hear us pretty well. So it's very important to do this early in life. Now, five genes have been identified as causative for this type of Usher syndrome, the most common being named MYO7A. The second type of Usher syndrome, Usher syndrome type 2, is the most common form with moderate to severe early onset sensory neuro hearing loss. Intact to variable vestibular responses, so patients may or may not have balance difficulties, and the onset of the retinal dystrophy or the retinitis pigmentosa within the second decade of life. And within this subgroup, we have three genes currently identified as causative, with by far USH2A, that's the name of the gene, USH2A the most common gene involved in the Usher syndrome type 2. And it's found in around 80% of cases. That's how prevalent that is. One thing to notice, right, is that some mutations in genes that cause Usher syndrome can also cause isolated retinal dystrophy too, right? As is the case for Usher2A. So, you know, sometimes you may have a mutation on this gene that has been associated with Usher syndrome, but it can also cause the isolated retinal disease depending on the type of mutation that you have. The interesting thing about Usher2A is that there is a very prevalent mutation which can have frequencies as high as 75% reported in some studies. It likely represents an ancestral mutation that's very common because it's spread worldwide as a result of migration. That's very interesting stuff, isn't it? We also have Usher syndrome type 3, 
which is one of the rare subtypes and it exhibits a very later later in life onset of progressive hearing loss retinitis pigmentosa and vestibular hyporeflexia uh, meaning that you know you don't have all those balance issues but you may have some individuals have normal speech and will gradually become profound deaf the onset of this is usually post puberty with subsequent constriction of your field of vision, of your side vision, right? And also night blindness. The prevalence of this form varies depending on the population study, right? But some studies suggest that it accounts for around 5% of cases. These are studies done, you know, on multiple patients. We're talking about hundreds of patients with Usher syndrome. Now, another interesting thing is that in the Finnish and Ashkenaz Jewish population, there seems to be a specific genetic pool. And this prevalence is increases to 40%, meaning that almost half of patients affected with Usher syndrome in the Finnish and the Ashkenaz Jewish population have Usher syndrome type 3. Lastly, Usher syndrome type 4 is an atypical and you know also super rare subtype. There is a late onset around 40 years of age, usually, of the retinitis pigmentosa and the hearing loss without vestibular involvement, so normal balance, right? This form is quite rare, though, and, you know, we don't see that very often. So this is how we classify the disease, and this is what it is. The next question now is, how are we in terms of finding new treatments for these diseases, right? It's very important. And as I said in a previous episode of Conroe dystrophies, check that out. We live in the era of genetics and particularly uh, by extension, gene therapy. With an explosion in the number of active gene therapies for different indications. And these are in different phase of, phases of study, of course, from early to late phase. And I'll be talking about phases of research study in the next episode, so keep posted. But coming back to Usher syndrome now, there was an active trial which has had a favorable safety profile in its early phase. Results which were published in 2021 in the journal Molecular Therapy. This type, that's the name of the journal, <laughs> this type of gene therapy is known as antisense oligonucleotide. And I know this is a big name. What it means is that it's using a chemically designed short strand of genetic material that's designed to enter cells and bind in a complementary way to specific RNA. Now, the name of this clinical trial using this technology for Usher syndrome type 2A, which is the Usher2A gene that we just spoke about, a very common gene, is Stellar. That's the name of the trial. It enrolled 20 patients who received intravitreal injections of one of three dose levels, which we call dose escalation. And by intravitreal, essentially what I'm talking about is that we're giving injections in this jelly material that we have inside our eyes. What's most important is that the safety data is very promising. There were no serious adverse events and the inflammation was quite limited. There were early signs of efficacy as well with some patients recovering part of their vision. This study was a phase one and two study. So early phase study and this evolved to a later phase study which is now named Sirius. S-I-R-I-U-S. Sirius which will be treating 80 participants and comparing this to ch shunt procedure. So as I always say, you know, cautious optimism, but 
anticipated that many more gene therapy trials will be starting soon. And again, as I said in the episode last week, and I'm talking about that quite a lot, uh, mentioning this episode here because it's very relevant to what we're talking today. And uh, as I said, observational research is very important because that's what's going to provide us with the basic tools to not only counsel our patients better, but to also develop new treatments. A final message for patients is that our knowledge, as our knowledge in genetic medicine increases, new genes, right, that may cause Usher syndrome will be identified, will be mapped. This will ultimately increase our understanding to assist our patients better, particularly when the genetic diagnosis remains unclear. An accurate diagnosis at the earliest opportunity and a better understanding of the disease natural history, which come from observational studies, are key for providing informed advice on prognosis and genetic counseling, as well as developing novel treatments, new therapeutics, and improving the quality of life in affected individuals. So then it's very important to have a multidisciplinary team looking over these patients because most of them will need cochlear implants. Thank you so much for listening to me today. I hope to see you in the next episode. By the way, if you guys are not aware, we have our website www.eyesonresearch.org. Uh, please do check it out. There's ways for you to support us. We also post regular short videos about ocular research and new developments in research in our social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, you name it, we have it. So please do check it out. Follow, share, subscribe, and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.